Okay, so uh, today we will be discussing uh, the impact of climate change on young people. And my guest is uh, Dr. Andrew Simmons. And briefly, I'll, I'll read uh, his background. Dr. Simmons is uh, an extremely experienced uh, person and is well equipped to you know, discuss the issues around uh, climate change impacts and impacts on young people and provide the pathway on how young people can participate in climate change mitigation and adaptation planning in the view or, or maybe with the view of enterprising their participation because of uh, the issue of lack of employment. So can young people uh, participate in a way that become kind of career-like or create opportunities for them in addressing climate change. So Andrew is an environmental activist uh, from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. He's retired deputy director of Youth Affairs at the Commonwealth Office in London, where he designed several frameworks for youth engagement and entrepreneurship for the Commonwealth countries. Uh, he was awarded in 1988 nine UN Environmental Program Global 500 Rules of Honor and the 1994 Goldman Environmental Prize in addition to the Goldman Environmental Prize. I think that's said. Uh, he participated as a member of the party and negotiator at the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change COP21 in Paris that was in December 2015. His hard working, his hard work with the Caribbean Community Climate Change Center. And recently, he was the head of mission in Sierra Leone on a project that designed and implemented youth employment and entrepreneurship uh, between 2018 and 2020. So uh, from the educational background, Dr. Simons was a master's in, in economic development from Southern University of New Hampshire in the US, a master's in business administration from the University of Greenwich in the UK, and a doctorate to cap everything in climate impacts on young people with focus on how communities can build resilience to mitigate climate effects. So uh, Dr. Simon is currently a member of the editorial board of the Journal of Integrative Environmental Sciences at Taylor and Francis Group, and as recently, uh, published a book on how climate change could impact young people and climate change impact generally. So today I'm very honored to have you, Dr. Simmons, on the Scope on Trends to discuss uh, this issue. So once again, thank you. I just have to cut your biography to make it short. Otherwise, it's going to take <laughs> one hour to read the whole of it. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, Doc. <laughs> Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, for those who might be hearing this for the first time, my name is Justin Udier, and I'm a lecturer in business and strategy at Nottingham Trent University, Nottingham Business School. So Dr. Simon, before, uh, let's, let, let's start. Uh, let's start from yeah. understanding uh, who a youth is. And, and to give that a background, we'll look at who is a youth, because at what age should we accept uh, uh, someone or define or which age is acceptable to define uh, a youth? Because so many people uh, define or see uh, youths from different perspectives, especially when it has to do with the age of uh, this person. Uh, briefly, this afternoon, I was looking at certain definitions of, uh, of youths by different 
uh, organizations. The UN, for instance, holds that um, the age of the youth is between is between 15 and 24. Yeah. That's what they, they, they want to agree. And yeah. in the African Union, the African Union 2016 uh, uh, bulletin said the age of youth is between 15 and 35. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, the, the UN instrument statistics reference it as between 15 and 24, like I've said. In their agenda 21, they said it's between 15 and 32. And UN uh, FPA said is between 10 to 24. So we don't really know who the youth, who a youth is. Uh, if you go to some places, the commissioner for youth development is about 58, sometimes 60, <laughs> and they said it's a youth. So what is your opinion on what's your definition of a youth? Well, <laughs> well, Doc, I think one of the major problems that we have is the, the wide variance in terms of the definition of youth. You know, and that is that is it's in a sense it's you can understand, you know, why is it um, so wide, especially between developed countries in the north and developing countries in the south, and so on. And then you would see, in terms of countries like South Africa, it would be some um, close to about uh, forty, you know. And I remember um, during my youth days when I used to, as the um, vice president for the National Youth Council of St. Vincent and Grenadines. Um, and number of times when I attend meeting, especially to represent in Latin America and, you know, over at that time, there was the, the, the Soviet Union, the, that block that you would see fellas between 40s, 50s, up to 60 years old, saying that they representing youth. And, that, and you know, so that's the problem. But in terms of um, the most countries um, would use the UN, which is 15 to 24, okay. um, that age. So they're, 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 and then you, a number of countries would be up to 35 to 40 mainly African countries and Latin American countries, because we're talking to the, about the globe and so on. But the Commonwealth, um, they, the definition is between 15 to under 30 years. So 15 to 29. 15 to 29. Um, yeah, that is um, mainly for Commonwealth countries. And, but the, 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 the one of the, fundamental issues when you come to that. So that, because that is the area of confrontation. That's the area of confusion. Okay. You know, the, the wide, you know, variance within the, in, 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 in the definition. Um, there was a document um, produced by the World Bank in 2007. And what they looking at, they put a more a, a qualitative definition. So they move away from the age defi definition um, and they were looking at a, a qualitative de defi definition and they, they call it in terms of a period of transition, you know, for example, so they see that a young person would have varying um, transitions um, because youth 
is a period, you yeah. know. Okay. It, and, and I think that's what we need to, to, to understand. Yeah. And so what is, it's a period of, of dependence, childhood, to independence, adulthood. And, and because of that, that the young person itself had to move through a whole period of, of, of transition, which the World Bank call what they call the life cycle approach to youth development. You know, and what they're saying that moving from school to seek work and independent source of income. So that's one transition that the young person had to, had, had to make. Moving from um, parental home to new living arrangements. So that's another transition, you know, that they, they, that they define. And another one is forming close relationship outside of the family, often resulting in marriage and, child, and, and children. So there's a, a whole series of transition. And the one, let's go back to the, the age definition and, and discuss it. Um, from 15 to 24, that is a kind of cycle that is in developing countries. You go to, you finish primary school, you go into secondary school, then you go to university or to apprenticeship system, you finish university between around 21 um, to about 24, and then you go straight into work. So that is more developed, you know. So the UN, which in a sense, um, you know, when we are the Commonwealth, we 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 think it was, was a, as a, a breath of fresh air when the World Bank um, produced this report and looking at the transitions that the young person had to go through rather than the age definition. Because we know that the bulk, a large percentage of young people in developing countries, specifically in Africa and the Caribbean, um, by 10-11, some of them drop out of school. And because of the incidence of, of, of poverty, and, and all these major problems that, that, that these countries experience, that that young person had to go outside there uh, um, to work. Some of them, especially you pass in um, the major cities and you see them collecting bottles, you see them collecting, doing all type of things, getting things on their head, going to sell something, you know? So that is, that is one of the, one of the, 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 the major okay. problems. Thank you, mm -hmm. thank you for providing that uh, overarching idea about the class or who should be classed as a youth. I think I understand now. They talk right. about age, uh, the age as um, taken by the Commonwealth, as well as understanding it as a transitional period uh, in the age of uh, every growing person, I think. So why, why is that transitional period important to economic planning important to, I'll start from economic planning first before we get yes. into climate change. Why yes. is that particular age really important? I know you, you made an attempt to talk about it that they are the people with the energy, they are the people mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that are out there if there, is, if there is an event 
they are, mm -hmm. the people that are either organizing or disorganizing. How, what do you think is your opinion that that age, that transitional period is crucial to national planning? Well, I think it's, it's very critical to understand young people. And most of the countries that we have, most of our countries, um, young, young people are more or less the bulk of the population, especially in Africa. Um, you know, can be up to 45 to 55 to 60 percent. You know, um, places like Sierra Leone, it can be up to 68 percent of the population, of uh, and that's a cost. So, if one, if you don't understand in terms of the concept and the definition and and how youth are being viewed and and so on, um, that you would be you would be failed to plan and to in, engage youth in the development process. And um, young people, where's people like us? I can't see you, you're still a young man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only a young man, but by, the, by, by, by all your explanation, I am far, far, far away from you. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm just joking, yeah. You know, one of the major problems that you have is that because you, you need to understand, you know, the youth as a social being, okay. youth as an economic being. And, and I know we did quite a lot of work around um, human capital and that type of thing, you know. And so that if and youth as a political being or a political sector and, and, and that type of thing. The other thing that, we, that you have to understand again is that youth, when whereas people at my age, we are fixed in terms of what we do, how we engage and that type of thing. That youth with that bundle of energy and vitality and creativity, that if, 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 if any country um, um, that can engage and can plan you know, for, for young people at this age would be extremely successful you know, um, in, 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 in the long run. So what we have in, the, in Africa and the Caribbean, a whole bulk of the population uh, that are unplanned for, that are not participating um, in the economic and development as, um, aspect of the community and so on. And the flip side of that, that with all this energy and vitality and so on, if you don't engage it, if, you do, if they're not part of the planning process, that they you would have all the social development problems, the drugs, the gangs, and, and, and that type of thing. And, and for me, you know, this is the reason why we are having these problems in Africa, in the Caribbean and other developing um, countries, because we fail to engage, we fail to plan. And we have a number of persons who are working within um, the youth sector who don't understand it. Even if you, you have a degree or PhD or bachelor's degree in, 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 in development or economic development, it doesn't mean that you know anything about youth. And one of the things that we found out when I was at the Commonwealth, that most of the training that are provided for, for youth workers are irrelevant, you know, to, to, to. so you have a, a lot, a, a whole, cross-section of people who are saying that, that they're working on behalf of youths, who are using the right words, empowerment, participation, and so on. But what they're doing is the opposite, the opposite. Of, of, of that, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, I think we'll talk about that because uh, some people actually will misunderstand or because of ulterior motive, they might come up with something and say, okay, we want you to participate. I think every polit every politician will, uh, will tend to verbally <laughs> define and tell you very fantastic programs that they have yes. to engage young people. But the operation of these programs is always the problem, isn't it? And that's where yeah. understanding will always come from. I think we'll just we'll that we'll get into the topic of the day even more proper. Uh, so we need now to understand how climate change is affecting uh, young people. How how is that? How I think climate change could be affecting businesses. How yeah. does it affect young people? Well, before we start to talk about young people, let's talk about Africa. Okay. Africa is the most vulnerable um, continent to climate change the most vulnerable continent to climate change. Um, and if you're from a, a, a small island developing state, that they are also equally and even more vulnerable than, than Africa it, it itself. Um, and when we talk about the vulnerability, what we're talking about, we are talking about the exposure of the country itself or the community itself to the elements, hurricanes, storms, droughts, and, and, and that type of thing. And, you know, for me, that's, but also youth, young people, when we look at the population sector, you know, young people are the most vulnerable because we, we, we're talking about, uh, we're saying that they are the less, the least, that been looked at or being involved or engaged by policymakers, because policymakers don't young people the the the, the approach that um, currently being practiced is what you call a social development approach, you know, um, a welfareist type of approach to deal with youth development. And you can't deal with um, when you talk about youth and development, you can't look at you know, a welfareist approach. A welfareist approach, okay, you're a problem. So I would give you a few things, you know, so that we, let's ease the, the, the problem uh, rather than empowering, looking at building the resilience of young people would, rather than empowering them and getting them to participate in determining, you know, the, the, the what development they want to, because most of the, programs and projects and so on that being developed, you know, one, young people are not part of it. And if they develop, if they engage young people, young people were not part of the conceptualization of this project. They were not part, they were not involved, they were not engaged. You know, somebody sit, um, a policymaker, some practitioner, sit around a desk, write up something, get some funding, whether from local government or from development, um, you know, the banks and those develop multilateral um, agencies, and they say that let me do something on behalf, you know. So what you do, is, what, what is happening and when you do things like that is what you call a number crunching, you know. We engage um, 5,000 people, we involve 5,000, but in terms of the issue is the quality of the engagement. There isn't no, no bottom up approach in terms of that that most of the time it is all top down you know a government agency or uh, some type of agency 
a multilateral, a bilateral agency, say they do something for young people. And I think for me, that is the major problem. So because in, in the other major issue, and you would agree with me, the whole issue of poverty, poverty is extremely high. So that, and, and why I say that these young people are the most vulnerable? Because, you know, and if we go back to the, the, the transitions from, independent, from dependence to independence, from living at home to trying to develop something, uh, 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 set up their own home, their own family, and that type of thing. You know, the issue is this. One of the things with, with, with young people um, that nobody would give them a loan, you know. So they cannot go to a bank or to a cooperatives and say, okay, give. So the, the, the quality of the housing, first thing that they would go in and live in very marginalized areas, a lot of areas that have been flooded, areas that nobody would go to live, areas that, uh, you know, uh, would prone to landslides, areas that are prone to, you know, sea level rise and, and, and high tides and that type of thing. The other thing that they would also do, they would build some shops because they don't have the money to build proper housing. They would live, go. So when, you know, any hurricanes, storms, flooding, these will, would be the persons who would be uh, most um, be impacted. Okay. Yes, thank you for that insight as well, talking about um, the impacts on, on young people and their vulnerability to, uh, to climate change impact generally. I think that's really uh, uh, makes sense. Talk about poverty and talk about uh, government using a welfare approach uh, instead of engaging actually and making it participatory. And that is what I think at the research level too, recently most researchers have now decided to work with communities to first yeah. understand um, what the community needs and work yeah. with them in co-creating solutions instead of uh, importing what you think is good yeah. for the people, isn't it? All right, thank you so much for that. Uh, so my next question would be, um, how would uh, uh, it affect them in the future? Do you think that impacts of climate change will affect young people in the future? The reason I'm asking that is uh, a, um, a young lady from Sweden, I think Greta, Greta Thunberg. Greta, yes, I, I, I did a whole chapter in my book <laughs> on, on, on the work because you see, why, why I did that in 2000, and you, you talk about Agenda 21. Yes. In 1991, um, a group of us went to, to, um, to Switzerland and we stand out in front of the Palais, the United Nations um, headquarters, mm -hmm. where the meeting was taking place. We, didn't, we were not invited. We didn't have any money. We didn't have, we stayed in a, a bomb shelter. Mm. We stayed in a bomb shelter because, uh, you know, and we have to, while these guys were in their big hotels and that type of thing, and um, we stayed in that bomb shelter. There were 16 of us um, and we um, linked with uh, a European Forest Action, which was um, the organization that hosted us. Uh, and we stayed outside 
we stayed outside. We didn't keep any noise, but we stand up. And then we, Barbara Pyle, who was from um, one of these uh, American, I think, Tornabad Casting Corporation, came to the bomb shelter. We were living 40 feet underground in this old bomb shelter. And she came there and she did a, a, a program. And um, the next day, we were invited in okay. to speak at the United Nations um, to set me. If it wasn't for myself and the group, you know, people like um, Dr. Paulette Bino, now a lecturer at University of Guyana, and um, there are some other activists, um, Wagaka, who is currently work from Kenya. She's um, currently working at the um, the United Nations Framework Convention for um, desertification and, and so on. So we were there, we, we stand up, we pick it, we, you know, until when they, it, they, they invited us. So that section in the Agenda 21 yeah. um, was, was because there wasn't any discussion, there wasn't anything pertaining to young people. So I did a comparison within my book it, in itself, you know, so that people would understand what, because we didn't have any media, we didn't have any money we, to, to make a telephone call during that, those times. It was extremely expensive, you know? So in, in, in my book, you know, and you, you have a copy of this, I, I did an entire section, you know, on, the, on the, the comparison with us trying to fight in, 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 in um, 1991, which was um, the at the last come leading to the to the answered um, process to the Brazil the meeting in 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 Brazil, you know, and what is happening now, and and so on. And then what I tried to do is to, to look at some strategies that um, she can use to strengthen um, the work, the modern movement, you know, what can be done in terms because it's being run by young people. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, I was extremely, you know, grateful to see what is happening that within a few hours, you know, a uh, few months, they were able to mobilize over 6 million people, you know, from 101,000 and, uh, uh, um, and uh, 600 cities, you know, from, and from 89 countries across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's important. So for me, this is, you know, rather than sitting back and, and that type of thing. This is young people need to understand the power that they have. Because they, while we, this is this is their, you know, their yeah. machine, you know, <laughs> their mobile phone. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, while we have to write letters, you know, try to beg people, you know, and, and, and you have a wall that is more, you know, after Trump you know, in the White House that more conscious and, 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 and more want to participate in ensuring because all of us are exposed. And I think the good thing about our studies, and I'm talking about both of us in terms of looking at climate change, that we know, uh, you, people say, no, I know a number of people who don't believe in the Bible and so on. But the Bible said that this world going to end by, by um, fire and brimstone. And the thing is that if we look at all the, 
the, the fires and the droughts and all the issues yeah. that are taking place, you know, across the globe, you know, and, you know, that people, it's, it's very, very easy to, if in another two degrees that there, there would be more forest fires, there would be more fires and, 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 and so on. And so, and there's a possibility that this, the entire um, planet itself can just blow to pieces yeah. overheat. You know, like an owl shock, you know, <laughs> if they yeah, that, if that, that, repair that, the engine, it's, you're in trouble. It's, it's very scary. Uh, I remember no, it is. During, my, during my research work, there was a day I had to uh, meet my supervisor. I said, see, the, 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 the more I read about climate change and its impact and looking at the indicators and looking at projection, it gave me scared. I'm beginning to think that there's going to be a blown up period where it becomes unmanageable. And yeah. people yeah. are taking the mitigation issues political, which is unfortunate. Some yeah. people are not just serious about it. And yeah. the, the, the worst case is that though the most vulnerable people are the most uh, uh, the most lackadaisical people about climate change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are yeah. not interested. I think they're overwhelmed with other issues. I think that's where Africa is now uh, more far more vulnerable. To climate yeah. in every in every aspect of it, Africa is more vulnerable. Aspect of yeah. uh, because they, Africa as a continent of people depend on fossil energy for economic survival, and the world is trying to suppress uh, the yes. exploitation for fossil energy and yes. bringing innovations that will stop that. So you have millions of people that we think at the point will not have any source of livelihood and the alternatives are either more expensive or not being looked into, not being researched, not even, mm -hmm. uh, you know, invested in at all. You know, so that puts Africa, and then the, the ripple effects, the ripple effects like flood yeah. and the wildfires, things, the yes. hunger, the poverty, the desertification, all of this push back to Africa and then make yeah. it even more miserable and complicated yeah, to yeah, manage yeah. climate change. You, 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 you make the point that the persons who are most vulnerable are the least concerned. Yeah. And it's true. But if we if we look back, I, I just want to introduce the Maslow hierarchy of needs, okay. the physiological needs, and then the others would come after, you know. Most of these people, the youth, the women, you know, and all the farmers and that type of thing, they have, in a sense, grappling with, you know, trying to fulfill these physiological needs. First thing that they want to do. For me, the key thing for them is trying to put food on the table. So if it means that you go into a forest at night and you cut as much wood as possible, you know, open that and you can get that cell, you know, so that you can use that that forest, that that money, you know, to provide food on the table. And 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 it, you know, very all in my work. Um I'm from St. Vincent the Grenadines and I just you know you heard about the you know devastating volcanic eruption yeah. that took place that almost that destroyed you know, a, a large cross section of, 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 of the, the country. And, um, you know, over two thirds um, um, of the population were either in shelter or, you know, have to, to, to flee. I remember 
the other good thing about St. Vincent, the important thing about St. Vincent, St. Vincent has the oldest forest reserve in the world. It was established in 1791 and the first environmental law in, 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 in the world. And, um, you know, and I'm from that community. It was starting work in terms, I didn't know anything about the environment, but I, all I saw that people were destroying the, the, the forest reserve and I know how important my, my, my parents and the elders in the village told me how important that was. Because if you cut that forest in Dong, that there wouldn't be that entire area, this, um, there wouldn't be any water because that is convectional rainfalls attracted by the, the forest, the clouds rise. And then uh, where I'm living is just behind where the forest is over. So I spend a large um, section of my, the only thing in terms of my life, protecting that forest. And I remember that we went to, we were young people and in our teens going into these villages and telling people, you know, not to cut down the tree. You know, one woman came to, and she said, look, you know, I have five children. I have no man in the house to assist me. Where would you want me to get? I can't buy um, the, the, the um, gas for cooking. I don't even have a stove. And these are people, um, and, you know, so where do you want me? What do you want me to do? So it was, here we stop. And then we went back to these communities and, and we asked them, look, you tell us what you want. How could we help you? And so that we created what we call a, a, a literacy program where over 3,000 people participated over the past, over the 10 years between 1984 to 1994, you know, and we were able to, and these persons became professionals. They, they went, they got their GC subjects, they got their, um, their went to universities and, and, and that type of thing. And the community is completely transformed. You know, so that's why I refer to Maslow. You know, when people, when you are at this, you know, the basic level into the physiological, um, trying to fulfill those, those kind of needs, trying to put food on the table, trying to create a shelter so that you can live. And this is what most of the young people who are in Africa and the Caribbean, you know, the, the bulk of them are within that, within that level. And what do we, what we find now? Um, I just came back from a program where I work in Sierra Leone for two years and, a, and, and four months. And what we, what, what we found now, um, within that program itself is that a bulk, quite a lot of persons who uh, went to university, completed their the bachelor's degree, their master's degree, they're unemployed because they, there's a gap between, you know, the education that they receive from the university and the education that is needed um, in the work or in the, in the 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 workplace. So so there's a there, there's a serious problem here when it comes to when it comes to that. And just last week, there was uh, on BBC in the UK they were speaking about that about that gap. 
that young people are leaving um, schools, secondary schools, and they cannot communicate. They do not have the basics and, and so on. So if this is happening in the UK, you know, what, what would be the situation How much more? in Africa? <laughs> you know, that is, to me, that is where, that is where the problem is. And I think I, I, would, I would say good for the government of Sierra Leone and um, the African Development Bank and they implemented a, a project that where we were able to completely rework um, five of the curriculum, you know, we, we, we develop what we call a, a, a program, especially looking at um, career guidance where, uh, and job readiness skills. What are the skills that a person would, where a graduate would need, you know? And what we did, we put part of that is the whole climate change adaptation for sustainable development was the main trends across that. Yeah, yeah. yeah because I was going to, to go into, into that, into that uh, uh, aspect of your work in Africa much later, but I think gradually, because from the beginning, I think you shoot yourself on the leg by saying that we should make this a series. So I'll be coming back <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to make sure we take this bit by bit so that uh, we have a wider uh, communication that touches on different aspects of- uh, Yeah, yeah, because that's how I see it, that this, this is the force. And yeah. this is when we introduce by little bits and pieces yeah. <laughs> of everything. And then what we would do, we would decide, okay, let, let's focus on this one. Yeah. Let's so, focus on this one, yes. Now, since you mentioned that your program in, in, uh, in, in Sierra Leone links with the next question I was going to ask about- Yeah, that's it. What, what are the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial opportunities in the climate change crisis? Uh, you know, that could benefit young people because we're looking at what, how do we convert? What are the gains? What are the benefits from this? Is there a way that young people can enterprise, you know, the mitigation and adaptation participation and maybe also helping um, relevant government organizations to understand how they could enterprise the whole process and use the opportunity to create jobs that could reduce unemployment rates in different countries? Well, for me, that's an excellent um, question because that was the crux of the, the program that we did in Sierra Leone itself. And I, I also see that there are a number of countries in, in Africa that are trying to you know, look at what was done in Sierra Leone, um, Kenya, Liberia, oh. If we, if we just, well, two things that we need to look at. We need to look at one, how do we create, because sustainable livelihoods. Okay. Because what, what I see climate change as an opportunity, an opportunity in Africa, an opportunity in the Caribbean, in Asia, to do things different. And the whole thing about the, the, the project that one, and I see education as that vehicle. Okay. We know that young people are very creative and that's from the definition, energetic, yep. you know, and, and, and so on. And they are, are more successful to change. You know, they're not somebody who going, they, they, 
believe in trying things. Yes. And one of the things that we did within that program was to train people in entrepreneurship at a number of different levels. You know, at um, through at the university level and through the technical vocation education programs run by the colleges. So that was the, and then we train a, no, a, 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 a number of other persons at how to manage, you know, the managerial aspect of entrepreneurship. And in that, an important part of, of that is we is the deal of development. We we, ex, we examine the curriculum. We met with the persons um, who are involved in the sector, and we work with them to develop um, the various um, curriculum. We train the instructors because one of the problems that you have is that um, a number of persons been um, instructing, been teaching for 20 something, 30 something years. And there's a problem with the methodology. So we develop, we run training program in terms of innovative methodology. And I think one of the good thing about what the government did in terms of Sierra Leone was to buy equipment. It wasn't enough, but new modern equipment um, and these were given to these colleges and the universities. Um, and so we look at areas like, because they were running um, carpentry, masonry, and that type of thing, you know, programs, all outdated and that type of thing. So we developed what we call a sustainable um, building construction program. We look at agriculture, we look at what they're doing and we work with them in terms of through the agriculture, because agriculture is so wide, we look at sustainable fisheries um, through aquaculture, because, because of the, um, the vastness of the, the country itself. And I from the and for you from Nigeria, Sierra Leone is very small. <laughs> I know that's but, but for me from the Caribbean. You know, it's it's a vast, you know, so we work with um, the uh, university in terms of trying to, to develop um, aquaculture program from bachelor's up to certificate bachelor's master's level. Um, and the other thing that we did was one of the area that would be impacted heavily would be tourism. Tourism, yeah. Um, yes, and the government through its development plan um, they have tourism as a very important part. So what we did, we work with the NCTVA, which is the award um, agency that to, deal, to, to look at how do we include climate change adaptation strategies and programs within the curriculum itself. So we re work with them and we develop the curriculum, we develop training manuals and, we, and so the college itself was able to run this program successfully for one year because of funding. And so over that one year, they develop a lot of practices and, and so on. And the key thing in terms of these posts, so they were able to introduce what we call, um, you know, ecotourism as a very, as an important part of, of what they're doing. 
And besides introducing ecotourism, they also um, introduce, you know, things like, um, you know, different types of tourism where we get them to walk with the various hoteliers and, and, and so on. I think one of the problems that we had was the COVID outbreak, but they also, um, they were able to understand, you know, the impact of the COVID and they see the COVID-19 as just uh, a window for things that will come in the future if we don't do anything about climate change. Um, so if we can deal with COVID-19 at this stage globally and collectively, you know, um, how are we going to deal with the issue putting into climate change and developing the capacity and building the resilience of young people and their communities? Uh, because young people is just one sector. Yeah, you well, know, how are we going to do that, yeah. you know, in the future? You're right. Young people is just is just a sector, isn't it? When you look at the, the whole climate, yes, yes, climate change yes. scenario. So the issue is that, that the the um you know entrepreneurship is extremely is an important part of that. And what we were able to see, there are a number of young people um develop. We we were originally supposed to train about um, 2,400 um, people um, across the board. Um, to, uh, and we, we were able to train 6,000 and, and certify 6,300, um, about 6,300 um, young people. And what was good because of the training that was provided to the universities, and because of the technical advice and the assistance provided in terms of enhancing the government, the governance and the, uh, of these colleges, I am happy to say that I, I, I still keep in touch with them, that they, they, they continue in the program, even outside of the, the funding. And, you know, this is one of the, the, the weakness in terms of with aid funding. Because I was going to, I was going to ask a question on that because um, uh, in 2012, 2013, I attended a, a young people's uh, workshop on peace yeah. building in in Trabzon. Trabzon is a state in um, in Turkey. Uh, yeah. One of the conversations that came up from the people who are managing uh, IDPs and young people who are now IDPs in their countries is that they accuse the UN, for instance, that yeah. whereas there is plenty of funding going into humanitarian services, but it's not actually addressing crisis. It's not actually addressing the needs, issues. the issues that are that are affecting the, the public. And in one of the in one of the UN uh, general meetings, the late president of Zimbabwe, that is uh, Mugabe, Mugabe yes. accused the UN of spending so much and trying to negotiate and trying to solve problems of war. But every day of our lives, war issues are escalating. Is yeah, the UN yeah. actually, the funding actually doing the job or we are only creating some job for some big people? Uh, the reason I gave you that background is on the issue of the continuity of these projects in the developing world generally. Uh, somebody somewhere, they, in fact, the conference you participated, the COP21, 
there was mm -hmm. an agreement of I think a hundred billion US dollars that should be donated <laughs> every year to help solve the yes. problem of yeah. climate change and support developing countries and all of that. This funding thing, I have, I have, uh, uh, you know, very critical outlook on the issue of developing countries funding projects in different ways, and then the people are continuously. You know, moving into poverty, we get from worse, worse scenarios to worse scenarios. So, what is your perception, and what can we do to address it so that if we want to solve a problem, we should be able to solve a problem to a full final stop? Well, for me, and we, I think we allude to that all year, is that one, you have a number of persons who are working within these institutions. Um, who they may be very qualified. And I'm not saying they need all kinds of degrees and that type of thing. But in terms of, you know, they do not know or don't know anything much in terms of how do we engage? In fact, how, how do we, what is the process in place? Because I, I spoke earlier about the top-down approach and the bottom-up approach. Yeah. These agencies work with governments. These agencies would stay, the, most of these guys would stay in the office or they would go out in the field and then they come back and they write a project, send it back to the, the government. I'm not saying that is the practice, but I knew of a number of times that these things happen, yeah. you know, and the project itself had no relevance. All they want to do is to tap into the money. And then you have um, a, a, a problem within, gov within the government themselves that sometimes that you have good people within the government who are willing and ready to implement the projects so that their people can be benefit, could, could redeem the benefit and, and so on, could gain new skills. But you have within these institutions persons who are very rigid in terms of how they manage these, these, these projects, how they manage these monies and that type of thing. So you'll find that the project would be completed. And remember all I talk about the number crunching. Oh, we cover this with you. You know, this is like a box ticking exercise. Yeah. 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 And the money spent and so on and the people, and because that, that funds and the program didn't engage the people, didn't involve the people in the process itself that the people most of the times do not have much interest. And we know the reason why some of the times that they do not have much, because most of the times that they fed up. A number of times I go out into the field and people say, look, you again, where you come for? <laughs> huh? You know, we hear this happen and this happen and that type of thing and nothing happened to us. But the only good thing that I can say, the experience in Sierra Leone, the, because we, we move from a bottom-up approach. We were working with the, the government and we have the full cooperation of the commissioner, the youth commissioner and, and, and so on, who you know, encourage us to look, go out, work with the people um, because, you know, I want something happen. I want the, the youth to participate 
in uh, and and to be empowered you know and um everywhere we go the commissioner was there with us giving us and 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 the good thing about the the commissioner in Sierra Leone that he came from the youth movement he was a, a youth himself <laughs> so he came from the youth movement so he's not just accountable to the government but he's accountable to his own constituency the NGO movement and the youths themselves you know and there isn't much country across the in Africa and the Caribbean where you have this type of a level of accountability and, and, and so on. So I would I would really like to encourage, you know, um, you know, and and even some some countries they want to do certain things, but the problem is this, you know, they do not they they they're not equipped with the methodology. Yeah in terms of getting these things up. The processes in terms of getting these things up. They call the right word empowerment and participation and involvement and engagement of young people, but they don't have the skills. Don't you know, have. so a number of development projects just go to naught. All right. So, uh, thank you again for addressing uh, that particular point because it's, it's the issue about community projects generally. Uh, when I did uh, a part of my community project in northern part of Nigeria, I was really keen. Then I had no much knowledge about continuity and sustainability of projects, but I was really keen about what will happen when I leave all these projects and return back to southern part of Nigeria. What will happen to the community? What will come a way to which someone can yeah. synergize yeah. this and continue my my yeah. practice? Uh, it was quite interesting, and it's, I think it's from then that I develop even more passion uh, for community development and you know working with communities to co-create solutions that are embedded and solutions that communities themselves can be able to they can manage in the absence yeah. of the creator. Even when you are not there, they understand the issues they can within themselves. Because that's how you test. That's how you test where the development takes place. Yes. Is when you not are wrong yeah. and you and things start continue. And this is how you test whether the project is sustainable it enough. Is. Yeah. One of the I think one of the major pro problems that we have is, for example, that project in, in Sierra Leone um, is the upscaling. Here you have a model and a practice and a process. Mm. Um, these processes are fully tested and, and, and that type of thing. But where's the resources coming from? And this is to continue these projects because one of the major pro problems that you have with the development banks, whether the World Bank, whether the regional banks, the UNDPs and all these agencies is that they move on. They move from one projects to the next. So they have a, what you call a project type of approach rather than a programmatic sustainable development approach. And, and for me, for us to address the issue of climate change, for us to address the issue of underdevelopment that we really need and have to, you know, force these in, in, international institutions and regional institutions um, to, take on what we call a programmatic sustainable development approach rather than a project. Because a project, 
has a, a beginning and an end. Yes. <laughs> and then it, it ends, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and so that many times people say that, oh, but we, when are we going to get the money for to upscale? No, the UN and those agencies will tell you, no, 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 there's another pro problem in a different country. Yes. There's a, another problem. So we have to try to address that rather than, so until for me, what I see, what is important, this meeting that is taking place, um, the climate yeah, change. The Glasgow. Um, yeah, yes, in, in Glasgow, I think is for, 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 developing countries have to go to this meeting and hold these countries, the develop, so-called developed world. Um, to you see, the challenge is, the challenge is for developing, for, you have mentioned it, I think you stated that problem clearly. The people have the theory, right? But they don't have the pragmatic implementation hands-on to deal yeah. with these issues. And if you know only the theory and you fall short of the pragmatic, uh, sustainable development and making yes. drawing out programs that have foot on the ground it will be difficult even when you get to the negotiation table yeah. to negotiate exactly what, what can be operational. what are you going to negotiate when because the problem uh, that you have from developing countries the, these are the diplomats who come to these meetings the technical people the people who are hands-on who work on the ground within these countries they don't come to these they meetings. don't come they don't government come those don't send them and you find one of my major problems that I have when I attend, especially at um, you know, 2015 um, climate change meeting, that most of the times are the people in Paris shopping. You know, they go to the meeting at the beginning at the morning and then they disappear. You know, so there are a number of persons from Africa and the because and the Caribbean, you know, and Asia, they um shopping you know, rather than being, so by the time they come back, is somebody who had to brief them in terms of, you know, this thing take place. And I, I, I can say, because a number of them came to me, what happened during the day, Andrew? What, what happened this, how, how this thing go? And that type of thing. And I just, I, and I, I just, you know, shake my head and I say, my God, I can see the reason why, yeah. you know? And then you find that they're being approached by the, the, the countries in the Arab, Arab countries who are trying to, you know, hold on to their oil. They've been approached to by the, the Chinese and the um, the Brazilians and and the you know various countries who are involved in you know these type of of, of illicit and I, I well illicit is to a strong unsustainable development practices and 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 so on. And then you find that these guys would support because these fellows would come to you and say, look, I have five, five million um, to give you, but I need your support at this. I have this, you know, so <laughs> it's difficult, you know, it's because every gov, every diplomat would want to, you know, uh, report back into the capital to say, look, I, I, able to, I, I broke a deal yeah. So yeah. for five million, for 10 million, you know, from these, from these people. But you know they're not clear in terms of you know it may be a, a diamond deal, it may be a, a, a fossil fuel deal or something that it may be a deal that will clear an entire forest, rainforest, you know. And so it's it's very 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 sad that for me what I think that developing countries need to do now would be is to start that discussion in country.
exactly. So that and, and and come with a set with a set of you know outcomes. Yes. You know, these are the outcomes that I'm looking for, you know, and so that you'll be able to negotiate. But if you come with your too long empty hand, you know, um, and you're not even in the meeting because you're shopping somewhere, a number of them may be shopping in Glasgow, or some of them would fly down to London to shop. You, you know, what what are you going to? So it would be, I, I am very concerned about this, this meeting it's, it's, because I would see it as same old, same old, you know the same, mm -hmm. same old, same old. Yeah. Um, my experience in 2009 in Bonn with uh, another uh, UN framework, and then my experience in 2015, in a sense, turned me off from these meetings. But I, I would encourage people, don't be like me, don't, don't get turned off to be there and try to have that discussion in country and so that you know they can you know thank you so much for providing that insight and i think people will go, it's something i'm going to write a blog about about this effective participation of uh, african african countries uh, when they attend these high powered meetings uh, beginning from who they select to participate yeah. and getting people who are not just knowledgeable or who are in position but people who are passionate about the impact yeah. of climate change Yes. Okay, so um, second to probably the last question we'll ask, because I think it's about uh, one hour now, is uh, how can young people uh, from developing world, for instance, uh, participate in the climate conversation in terms of mitigation and adaptation and mainstreaming this to uh, a way they would operate it? How do you think they will break these barriers and engage and participate? Are they going to wait for someone to give them opportunity that will never come? Or there is a spontaneous, or there could be a spontaneous approach to which they can start the conversation and begin to participate and begin to educate themselves, for instance, to stop bush burning or to stop exploitation of forests and cutting down of trees, looking at the social dynamics of poverty and you know political toggery or political suppression and all of this how would young people you know participate i think one one good thing um a few um a week and a half ago it was designated as um you know international um environmental day um and the theme was restoration of the ecosystem. What we have to do is to, and this is where young people, you know, need to be involved. You know, you don't need to, and, and remember I spoke about the bottom-up approach. Yes. Because when I started, I started uh, my work from a little organization that we started in 19, 78, you can't believe. <laughs> than, before you born. <laughs> 1978, and I, I, the organization is still going. There's a daycare facility. It was the first environmental daycare facility that was in the world, and so on. And, um, you know, for me, that the focus should be on action. 
It should be two things that young people need to focus. What can I do within my community, you know, to deal with the environment, to address the environmental issues? So things like tree planting, yes. that is something that need to be done. There's there quite the absence of uh, quite a lot of, and I see some popping up now in Africa, you know, young people starting groups. My only concern is that, that a number of these groups are more or less internet groups, okay. you know, a website and a, um, and a few persons sitting running um, a group. We need action. So we really need to encourage, and people like me and other persons, because I know a number of um, people will be checking into the pod podcast. What they need to do is to work and with young people, um, retired teachers, and even if it's still active working in the public service, yeah. but to take on some young people as mentors and work with them to develop programs. Because the good thing, um, whereas during my time I had to go to university to learn anything, now you don't even have to go to university because all the knowledge is at the, your fingertip. Yes. You know, you, you, you Google and you, the information will come. So I would want to see the build creation of, you know, youth groups, youth organizations, making sure that um, we hold government accountable. And I believe in what you call a ripple effect, that if I start in my corner, you do something in your corner, the, this person do something in their community, another person do something in their community. And the good thing is this, that if we stay linked through WhatsApp and through you know, these other um, me, uh, me, mediums that we can share and we could build and we can create. That is the reason why um, Greta Thunberg you know, was able to, with our group, to mobilize, um, you know, six million. And that was the same re reason when, you know, the 16 of us who were in 1991 in um, um, Switzerland, in Geneva, the United Nations, we were not able to do that because it was too expensive. So I think the key thing would be to use the media the other thing that I would like to encourage young people is to develop, you know, programs. In, uh, you look at everything in the light of, you know, that you can make a living from it, okay. you know. So go on the net. There are quite a lot of free courses. I see um, Oxford and Harvard running free courses, you know, for six, for six weeks, online courses. I would encourage these young people to do these courses. It doesn't cost you anything. All it costs is um, a telephone and your and the internet. And so that they can do these courses to educate themselves. You don't have to be in a university because time change and so on, because you can get more valuable information um, on, the, on, on the net. So to develop these things and link them, they've created your own businesses. And, and, and that type of thing, you know, whether, you know, ecotourism um, businesses, where if you're a builder, you can 
look at the whole area of building sustainable houses, sustainable, you know, how do you deal with energy? You were talking about energy, you know, I saw something where um, GIZ in Sierra Leone, um, the project is run by a, a good friend of mine and they train a group of women in build to build um, um, solar, um, uh, you know, solar heaters and, and all that type of thing. And now these women are in a sense doing this as a, as, as a living, you know. So they're contributing uh, in terms of, uh, to the economy and to the, the country itself, but they're also doing it in a sustainable way. Yes. So for me, there, there are a number of valuable things that young people can do. And the focus is on, you know, what we call taking natural approaches to deal with ecosystem. And, and if people start to create businesses in for, for, the, for example, fisher folks, you know, if you try to preserve the, um, the forest and the um, various demand growth swamps and that type of thing, uh, it means that in the end you would get more fish. Yeah. You know, so this would benefit fisher folks, fisher folks um, communities and that type of thing. And it means that more fishes would be wrong. And rather than if you go to fish, uh, you, you throw back the smaller ones rather than taking everything. So that if you do that, you know for sure that tomorrow, and if everybody educated to do that, you know that, um, that it would be sustainable. You know, so there, there are a number of tangible, there's things like music, you know, yeah. that young people can 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 look at in terms of because music is one of the most important thing you know creating their own band and you don't even have to you know just a, a computer you could create your own song but you can promote that use it to promote um, the environment so there are a number of, of tangible things that can be done you know whether you're involved in tourism whether you're involved in housing construction, building construction, you know, uh, whether you're involved in, you know, energy, you know, um, um, protection and, and that type of thing. So my thing, as I said, the need to deal with it is a business because if you can make a living from it, you know, it means that you would ensure that it is there for generations to come. So the whole thing is, making sure that we do it in a sustainable way, that when we're gone, that the next generation, and I'm, I'm very concerned, you know, I just have uh, 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 another addition to the family, yeah, yeah, <laughs> my, my, my grand, fourth grand and son. So I used to say that I am involved in this work because I want to ensure that I protect the environment so that when the next generation, my children come, but now I'm saying it for my grandchildren, yes. you know? So it's, it's, so it's, if you look at it, you'd have to look at it from a, a long term um, and, a, 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 and, and ensure that the livelihoods that are being provided is, is, is sustainable. And you do it, you involve, you, you do it around entrepreneurship, you know, making sure that, you know, people, it's, it, that they, able to make a living 
performing part of, part of it and yeah. that's uh, that's one way of making it attractive also to yes. young people yeah. if you see that they can actually make a living out of their participation and engagement mm -hmm. uh, why not everybody will want to jump on it and uh, yeah. and do it okay that's a uh, very 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 important and thank you so much for providing insights on that I think well, maybe next time because there are so many. Uh, <laughs> so there are so many. Uh, yeah, so many things to, <laughs> to talk about, you know. We'll examine uh, what uh, what maybe the private sector and what private sector yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, because uh, not cutting you off because one of the things that we did in Sierra Leone and that project is so important. What we call we develop what you call a PPP framework, uh, uh, public-private sector partnership. Um, framework uh, which the government um, start using and we went out to you know these private sector agency whether in tourism you know whether in building construction you know whether in agriculture and try to build partnership and in fact some of these programs now are being supported by, by some of the colleges that are running the training they do the programs are now being supported you know, by these by by this private sector. So that's a very important area too. As a project, I would like to, to because what I would love to work with you on, because what happened um, for about 10 years through my organization, uh, we created what we call Youth Environment and Service Clubs in St. Vincent. Okay. In secondary, I think we had about um, 30 something secondary and about, um, not 30 something, 20 secondary, and uh, about 30 something primary schools. And these kids were extremely active. One community where the, 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 the youth uh, community called Provenville, they put too, so much pressure on their parents and get the parents to keep the community um, very clean, you know, for, for years. You know, we did it, there was a small, school i'm not too sure whether the um the headmistress because i saw when i send the thing out is listening you know but there, there's a school in um in argyle i think um you know where and the community was was next door and they put so much pressure on their parents and when we go the parents know us like how you know <laughs> like like we grew up with them you know yeah but it was because of that war um you know, so it is something that, you know, we produce quite a lot of leaflets, you know, we assist the school in terms of how to set up these clubs. Um, to the extent when I went to in 19, um, nine, nine, um, 2019, I worked with the Rotary Club in Sierra Leone okay. um, to set up a similar type of program where we run, we run a workshop for 20 um, in, in Fritong, the city capital, you know, 20 secondary school, and we brought them together and, and, and trained them. I even taught them how to sing um, Caribbean folk songs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's something, and um, with the problem in St. Vincent with the volcanic eruption, because um, this is something that I'm considering you know, trying to raise, because you don't really need a, a, a huge amount of money. Yes. You know, just enough to buy. And people would give you there some businesses, you know, um, that when we when we approach them, that they were quite ready in terms of giving us 
you know, hundreds, thousands of trees and, and so on and want to be part of it. So I think to me, this is where we call the, um, public, the PPP, yes. you know, the policy and getting government to sign on and communities to sign on, state to sign on. And so that um, the, we can, because that's the only how we're going to solve this problem with, with um, young people and climate change and, and that type of thing. We really need the participation of the yeah, private sector. Every hand to be on deck yeah. to make sure it's effective. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. Simon, thank you so much for, for coming along today. Nothing. So, okay, I want to uh, bring the podcast and conversation to an end today. It was about how the impact of climate change on young people and how young people could participate effectively in the mitigation and adaptation uh, programs and projects that we might have. So uh, thank you so much for coming along. And of course, as usual, the, 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 the reward for hard work is more work. So I'll expect, <laughs> well, I will expect that when next I call you, let's have this conversation. I'll give you the wider uh, publicity and maybe invite a few other guests to, to come along in the way mm. that uh, it will no be. Problem. Uh, no problem. So, thank you so much and have a good day. Thank you very much, Doc, for this That's being so a, for me an excellent program. And I know that, um, you know, hundreds of people would when they because it, it would be up yeah. you know and um people would and would um tune in and send feedback um to you yeah. uh, in the future so you know i'm always looking forward to to working with you